Welcome to this episode of Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, we will be discussing the topic of academic detailing, and we are joined by Dr. Stephanie Tubb. Dr. Tubb is an alumna of the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy. She currently serves as an assistant professor of pharmacy practice for the school. Dr. Tubb also provides academic detailing as a clinical pharmacy specialist and works as an ambulatory care pharmacist in the Women's Primary Care Clinic at the Dayton VA Medical Center. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. We're glad to have you today. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. So you have a long history of connection with the School of Pharmacy. So I would love if we just start with hearing a little bit of your story. So tell me, how did you get interested in the profession of pharmacy to begin with? And how did that end up getting you here to Cedarville? Yeah. Um, So back in high school, I really liked chemistry and science, anatomy, all those courses. Um, And I wanted to be involved in the healthcare profession, but I didn't feel like I could be hands-on like nurses are. I always think props to nurses, but it's something that I don't feel quite capable of in physicians. I'm not really into like the blood and guts. So trying to find some sort of healthcare profession that fit for me, pharmacy really seemed to fill that gap. Um, And I, I got to kind of look at it a little bit more by coming to pharmacy camp back when I was in high school. Um, And that's really where I got a more definitive answer that pharmacy seemed like a good fit for me in the healthcare profession. Um, And Coming here to Cedarville, just having so many different experiences as a student, um, you know, working as a research assistant and getting to meet all the faculty members and hear about their professions and what they do um, really got me excited about pharmacy. Um, I did hop around with my interest in pharmacy quite a couple times. And when I graduated, I was able to do a PGY1 at the Dayton VA. And then I went on to do a PGY2 at the Milwaukee VA up in Wisconsin in internal medicine. Um, And I feel really equipped in pharmacy to kind of uh, hop around with different topics and subjects. And I'm really excited to see where my career continues to take me. Great. So I'd love to ask you a little bit more about this pharmacy camp idea and what your experience was like. A lot of people probably don't realize that a number of schools, including Cedarville, do pharmacy camps. So what did you do during pharmacy camp when you were here? Yeah, it was quite a while ago, so I don't remember all the details, but the things that stand out to me Um, were the tours we took of the hospital pharmacies and the retail pharmacies and actually being able to see the behind the scenes of what pharmacists are actually doing in real life instead of it just being this concept I read about on the internet when I was trying to decide what I was going to do with my career Um, and getting to meet the faculty and getting to meet other students who are probably interested in pharmacy really helped solidify that pharmacy um, was a career for me. Great. And if there are listeners who are considering pharmacy, Cedarville does have pharmacy camp coming up again this July. So um, go ahead and head on to Google. Go ahead and uh, and Google Cedarville and pharmacy camp and you'll find more information about it. Okay. So let's start with a 10,000 foot view of your current roles, both with Cedarville here and with the VA. Could you tell us a bit more about the work that you get to do every day? Sure. So I am what's called a shared faculty member, which means that I am hired on by both Cedarville University and my practice site, which is the Dayton VA. Here at Cedarville, so I'm an assistant professor of pharmacy practice, and I teach the men's and women's health module to our P2 students, um, which I've really enjoyed thus far. And at the VA, I have two different jobs where I spend some of my time um, as a clinical pharmacy specialist working in their women's primary care clinic, and I get to meet with they're women veterans for about an 
30 minutes to an hour, um, depending on the patient, and help manage their diabetes medications, their blood pressure, cholesterol, all sorts of different primary care um, topics. And I also do pregnancy medication reviews for those patients um, to make sure that they're on all safe medications if they are pregnant. Um, and that's been something I've really enjoyed. And then I spend the other part of my time doing academic detailing, which is what we're going to discuss more today. Absolutely. And, and we'll get to that. But I also just want to um, highlight some of the uniqueness of the role you have at the VA. A lot of people think of veterans being primarily men, right? And historically, I guess that has been the case, but I think the services that you provide are unique in that you're focusing particularly on the women that are associated with the military and receive services through the Veterans Affairs Medical Services. So uh, props to you. I think that's a super great area that really needs addressed, and I'm glad to see that you're, you're able to do that through the VA. Thanks. So, okay, let's jump right into our topic. So give us a definition of academic detailing. What is it and what does it entail? Okay, so most people don't know what academic detailing is. When I go and meet with providers to actually do academic detailing, I find that I generally have to define what I'm there for um, and what is academic detailing. So in short, it's an in-person educational outreach normally happening in a one-on-one -on -one setting that's going to interactively provide evidence-based information to a healthcare professional. Um, that's like the technical definition. Um, so I meet with providers one-on-one -on -one about different educational topics. I bring them updates on the guidelines, condensed, um, synthesized evidence-based information, and I help them find ways to implement it in their practice and help them find ways to overcome the barriers that are preventing them from implementing it. And I think you can understand a little bit more about academic detailing when you take a step back and understand um, how and why it was formed. So the physician who came up with this idea, uh, Jerry Avorn, um, back in the 1970s, he was a new physician, and he was finding that the things that he had been taught in the classroom or the things he was reading online as in, like, new publications and stuff weren't always the things that are happening in practice. Um, so there's some sort of gap there where providers, physicians, nurse practitioners, all the people who prescribe – need help synthesizing or need more time to synthesize all the evidence-based information that's out there. And they, they just don't have that because they're super busy. So we need to be educating them while they're still in practice. And he, as he was thinking it through a bit more, he was realizing that, you know, sometimes sitting in a lecture or sitting in a presentation or just giving a handout isn't the best way to implement change or cause change in somebody's prescribing habits. So that's where he came up with this idea where a healthcare professional or a pharmacist or whoever's going to do the academic detailing will meet in that one-on-one -on -one setting, start talking to the provider, figure out like what do they actually need about this topic rather than going through a whole rehearsed 60-minute presentation. Like what does this provider need in a 10-minute talk? Um, and what are the barriers in place that this provider has and how can we help them use all the evidence-based information in their practice? And then you, you arrange follow-up appointments and really help those providers overcome those barriers and reach those goals to provide patients with the best, most optimized care and treatment. So to me, I hear this idea of personalizing the, the, not only the content, but also the delivery of the information you're giving. Would that be a, a fair way to maybe summarize some of the heart of academic detailing? Yes. A big part of it is doing what we call a needs assessment. Um, so towards the beginning of when I'm meeting with this provider, I start asking all these open-ended questions trying to get at, you know, what's the most difficult part for you when you're talking about tapering a patient off of opioids and figuring out specifically what that provider's 
maybe having a harder time with so that I don't just go through a rehearsed talk. I can give them what they actually need and save them time, um, but still get them the, the information. This seems to be a very niche area of pharmacy, as I'm hearing from you. I'm guessing even the pharmacists that listen to this podcast, most of them have probably never heard this term of academic detailing. So could you take us on a journey of how um, you even got involved with academic detailing and maybe give us more specific examples like the opioid example you gave of how you actually use this as your pra- in your practice as a pharmacist? Yeah. Um, so academic detailing, it's been around, like I said, since like the late 1970s, and it's still catching on, I guess you could say. There's not a ton of open positions for academic detailers, um, but the VA has kind of picked up on it, and early in the 2010s, they started implementing it at some different um, medical centers, and at about like 2014, it's been implemented nationally um, throughout the VA. Uh, it's still a new concept that I have to explain to most everyone I talk to about it. But the VA has done a good job of creating information, resources, documents that we can disperse throughout the VA to to kind of get that information out to our providers. Personally, how I fell into this position, uh, I feel like it kind of just fell into my lap, actually. When I was finishing up my PGY2 up in Wisconsin, I knew I wanted to come back to Dayton, and I was, you know, searching around for a job. I knew I really loved teaching, so I really would have loved to work at Cedarville, and I really loved working with our veterans and working at the VA, so I also would have liked something at the VA, and it's crazy to me how it just happened that the VA reached out to me, that um, at Dayton they were going to have this academic detailing position open up for a part-time spot, and Cedarville actually was able to, you know, match that to create a shared faculty position. Um, and it's by God's grace, I got this incredible position. Um, and as, as I looked more into what academic detailing was, because like I said, I kind of just stumbled upon it. It really seemed like something that fit well with my personal interests. I really like interprofessional interactions. I loved talking with medical providers when I was a resident and as a pharmacist. And um, now that's a big part of my job. And I, I love talking to those providers and educating them. I love education um, and I love communication techniques like motivational interviewing, which is a big part of academic detailing. Um, and it's a very data-based um, profession. We get to look at all the data of the facility and you know, maybe target specific providers based on their prescribing habits. And then I can look back at the data after I do my academic detailing outreach visits to see the impact of what I'm doing. Um, So all those things combined really just felt like it was a perfect position to me. And I'm so grateful that I did come across it. That's great. So let's talk about some examples. So what are some initiatives that you have personally used academic detailing for up to this point? Yes. So what I am detailing on now is pain, mainly chronic pain. Um, And I was able to kind of select that topic on my own based off of looking at data for my facility and knowing that we hadn't done much academic detailing at my facility before. Um, So it was a clean slate. I could start whatever I wanted. And the National VA Service has a ton of topics out there like COPD, heart failure, diabetes, pain management, suicide prevention, all sorts of things. And I could pick from any of those. And pain felt like a good option. Um, but then when you're thinking about pain, there are so many different things within pain that you can detail on. You can detail on uh, you know, using alternatives like non-farm or 
um, non-opioid measures or what's the maximum dose of opioids that we should be prescribing or how do you actually taper a patient off of an opioid. And so I've selected a couple smaller sections of pain topics for one, like opioid tapers, and I reach out to a couple different providers. I bring all sorts of different resources. The National VA team has put together great booklets of information, really condensed, evidence-based, and specific to our veteran population um, that I bring to the provider. And as I'm talking with them, I can point to different pages based on where the conversation is going. Um, And I, I love using these resources with them. And also being able to show them our national um, database that houses all of these resources so that in the future they can go and look at those things as well on their own. So I'd love to know how the providers see academic detailing. You've mentioned that often you're describing what it is that you're doing and you clearly demonstrate a purpose in the conversations you're having. How do they view academic detailing? Is it something they appreciate? And do they respond well to this type of of communication and your experience? It's a mixed bag. Um, There are definitely people who are super excited when I show up and I start showing them all these resources of like checklists of, you know, things to go through when they're prescribing an opioid or how to actually taper someone off with specific examples of of chronic tapers. Um, And they get really excited and start asking me questions like, oh, can, do you have resources on this different topic or, or that? How can you help me in this different area? So I love, I love those interactions. That's always positive and reaffirming. Um, but you do have some where they're kind of wary of why you selected them to meet with, or, you know, they think that they're prescribing these medications appropriately. They're doing just fine. They don't need you, um, which is fine. And you have to kind of roll with the punches as the academic detailer, um, roll with resistance if we're thinking in MI, motivational interviewing terms. Um, but I, I think it's also a relationship thing. Um, I'm new to the facility and they don't know me, so I have to be able to prove myself and just build a relationship with them, which has been more difficult in COVID times, but I can see in the long run as I build relationships with these providers and they learn who I am and they know that they can trust me, they will be more open to, um, letting me be involved and, um, meet with them more often. Do you find that the actual process of academic detailing lends to developing those relationships more quickly than if you just went and said, hey, can I talk to you about opioids and your prescribing practices? Do do you feel like the process sets up an academic detailer for success? In a way, because uh, we, we do some basic training as academic detailers before we get started, and they coach us a lot on how to use open-ended questions. Um, so I feel like just that coaching of getting the provider to talk to you um, helps with that. But in the, in the same sense, I actually do kind of just show up and say, hey, can I talk to you about opioids? That kind of is part of academic detailing is those co- cold calls of trying to just randomly meet with someone that you don't know. Um, and I feel like that you just got to start somewhere with these providers, got to start by showing up and saying, hello, can I talk to you for about 10, 15 minutes? So. Have you had any experiences where the providers then call you back without you maybe soliciting some of their time? Yes. And that is always super exciting for me, knowing that they thought to reach out to me. Um, I've had a couple people message me on different days asking like, oh, can you come and re-clarify this point for me or walk me through this on my computer? I'm trying to figure out how to order this medication we talked about. And that's always encouraging to me to know that they're thinking of me and they know I can help them. Um, And it gives me encouragement that as I spend more time there and get to know them more, 
I'll get more and more implemented. Okay, so I don't want to get too technical with this question, but I would love to hear your perspective on different areas where academic detailing has been proven successful. Are there certain practices or certain disease states where you've seen that this is an effective approach to communication with varying providers? Good question. Um, so academic detailing, I think of it more as a communication technique for information distribution. So I think that it can really be used for anything. And there are studies out there on academic detailing for a whole host of different topics. Um, looking at some specific studies, I know that there was a systematic review in 2013 that looked at 15 articles and found that academic detailing is effective at optimizing the prescribing habits of primary care providers. Another study in 2017 found that academic detailing had a positive effect on prescribing and decreased prescription drug costs. So overall, academic detailing has a very positive impact on um, medication prescribing and healthcare costs. But then looking at some specifics, because it can be used for so many different, um, you know, healthcare areas. Like I said earlier, it can be used for COPD, it can be used for heart failure, diabetes, all sorts of different topics. Um, there, there are studies out there on all those, but I think a big topic people are talking about now is pain. Um, like I said, that's the one I started off with because I think it's a big problem that people are aiming to fix, and academic detailing is a good way to help encourage change amongst our providers. Um, so there are a couple published studies out there on um, using academic detailing for pain. So for a more concrete example, there was a, an article published in 2020 about the impact of academic detailing on prescribing of opioids in the VA system. And it found that academic detailing is associated with the reduction of the monthly high-dose opioid use and the average morphine milligram equivalent doses in veterans. So they're, sh they're finding that it has really positive impacts, which is encouraging to know that um, as I've been detailing on these pain topics, as I continue to do that and meet with providers, even though sometimes I'm met with resistance, if I'm able to push through that, that there can be really positive outcomes, um, especially for our patients, thinking about it in light of them. So with all of the training that you've received to be an academic detailer, do you feel like that these skills have helped you be a better pharmacist or teacher? And if so, how? I think that they have. I think they've uh, encouraged me to continue to grow in my soft skills, um, my communication techniques, and my conflict management. Um, regarding communication, like I've learned new strategies and techniques to incorporate into conversations and to help encourage someone to make change in their behaviors, um, which is always useful as a pharmacist when we're making medication recommendations to people and we're anticipating resistance, knowing how to phrase it in a more accepted, received way. And then regarding conflict, you just never know how the conversation of an academic detailing appointment is going to go, and you never know what barriers the, pa the provider is going to bring up or what objections they're going to have to what you're suggesting. So you have to be ready to roll with it and um, still encourage change because that is our goal. Our goal is to get the prescriber to prescribe less opioids, and, and if they're you know, you're running in into a wall, you got to figure out, you know, how can we get around this or how can I rephrase this? And so all those communication techniques, I think, make me a better pharmacist. So a lot of people may be familiar with pharmaceutical companies and having representatives from their companies go out and provide education on a new drug or an approach that their company has developed. So do these representatives 
use academic detailing or is it different in terms of what they are trying to do? I guess, can you compare and contrast the work that you're doing with uh, what a representative from a drug company might do? I think it's great that you recognize that there are some similarities between us. Um, and I e even sometimes have providers who kind of notice that when I'm explaining what academic detailing is. It is because the structure of it really is the same. Um, you know, we're bringing some sort of information and we're trying to encourage a provider to implement it in their practice. But a drug rep is all about their medication, their one medication. They want their provider to use that, whether it's the most cost effective or the best option of all the options. They don't care. They just want you to use their drug. And we as academic detailers are bringing evidence-based information. We aren't pushing one drug. We aren't pushing one specific, I don't know, outcome. We are looking for the best outcome for the patient. We want it to be the most cost effective. We want it to be, you know, the best first line option. Um, so we are kind of like drug reps of evidence-based information in a sense. That's a good way um, to put it. Yeah. So there's some similarities there. You bring up a great point about at the end of all this is a patient, or in this case, multiple patients. Mm -hmm. Do you have a tangible example of how you feel the work you do benefits patients at the very end of this process? I think when I take a step back and I think about what I'm doing, I can definitely see the impact on the patients. I think that when I'm changing a prescriber's prescribing habits, I'm impacting multiple patients down the line. I might never know who that patient is, and I might not know how many patients it is, um, but I know... I'm making a change um, for the better for our patients, hopefully. And it's it might be hard to track that necessarily, but I, I'm certain that there is positive for our patients. Great. If you'd be willing, can you maybe help us to see, maybe we can simulate if I'm a prescriber and you were to come and do a cold call and start initiating a conversation with me, can you give us an example? Maybe can we practice and, and see a little bit more what you actually do? Yeah. So normally how this starts off, uh, we have Microsoft Teams at the VA, and I will send a prescriber a message, and I'll say, hello, do you, well, if I'm the first time I'm meeting them, hello, I'm Stephanie, I'm the academic detailer for the facility and also the women's health pharmacist, just so that they know who I am and what I'm doing. Um, do you have 10 to 15 minutes today for me to drop by and talk to you about opioid tapers? And then I hope for a response. And sometimes they don't respond or sometimes they say, no, I'm too busy. Um, and I will roll with that and I will try a different day or try a different prescriber. Um, but if they say yes, I will go and I'll meet with them. And the first thing I'll do is I'll reintroduce myself and I'll reconfirm that they have that amount of time. I'll be like, do you still have 10 to 15 minutes to talk today about opioid tapers? And then they'll say yes. Um, and then I'll start asking some um, needs assessment questions or, or I'll open by talking about... Um, you know, I came to you today to talk about opioid tapers, which is um, I'm talking to people about pain topics right now, um, as this is a big issue within um, the VA population. And um, the big point I'm trying to talk to people about right now is to consider tapering opioids if the risk of continuing that opioid outweighs the benefit of continuing the opioid. So could you tell me in your experience what has been, you know, maybe the most difficult part about tapering a patient off of an opioid? Um so that gets them to tell me, like, is, is the hard part talking to the patient about the opioid taper? Or is it when the patient comes back and they're having symptoms of withdrawal and they don't know how to manage that? Or is it that 
they don't think they need to taper their patients off of opioids. Like, what's the actual problem? And they're able to specifically tell me. And then I can point in my resources that I bring with me. I bring my whole little, like, it feels like a little, like, briefcase with me of all these different mm-hmm. resources. And I pull them out, and I'm like, okay, well, this might be helpful to you. Here's, here's a sample taper. Or here's a list of all the medication options. Or here are some conversation starters of how you can uh, roll with the resistance of the patient. And um, so... I know we didn't really role play there, and I just kind of talked it through. That's but that's okay. that's kind of what happens in my academic detailing appointments. And then I I try and wrap it up and be like, okay, we talked about a couple different things depending on how the conversation went. Um, I try and summarize it real quick, and then I say, so do you think? What are your thoughts on you know trying this with your next opioid patient when you're you know weighing that risk and benefit? What are you, what are your thoughts about using some of these conversation starters with that patient to open that discussion with them? And I try to get some commitment from them. And then I say, okay, I'll follow up with you in a couple weeks to see, you know, if it's if you've had this come up and um, if there's anything else I can provide you with. And that's kind of what an academic detailing appointment looks like. It's a nice short 10, 15-minute thing with a lot of preparation before and looking back after um, to see and make sure that I'm having some impact. Thanks for walking us through that. I think it really gives us a feel for how you approach these types of conversations. I'm curious, you started this work during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. So have you found that most of your visits are happening virtually or are you doing some of those in person at this point? And do you think one is more effective than another? So I have tried really hard to make them all in person. Um, We do wear masks and I I mean, I stay distance in their office space, but because they don't know me, I think it's important for me to show up in person and them to see me. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm just able to build a relationship better that way. But I do know that there are academic detailers across the nation at the other VA facilities who have shifted to doing, doing some, um, you know, remote zoom calls or, uh, Microsoft teams calls where they'll meet with the provider online and pull up their resources on their webpage, uh, or on their computer, um, screen and share their screen with the provider to walk them through the documents the same way they would in person. So you can do it both ways, but I've been pushing for in-person to just get them to know me. Yeah, it seems like it would be more effective to actually have a physical person that you can interact with when you're Mm -hmm. having these conversations, asking open-ended questions. So is pharmacy the only discipline that uses academic detailing, or is this something used more broadly? Maybe another way to frame the question is, are pharmacists the only one that can do this, or are there multiple different professions that could do this well? So there are a lot of different professions that could do it. Really, any healthcare professional could be an academic detailer. Uh, I think they've just found that pharmacists fit this spot best because normally we're talking about medications, and who better to talk about medications than pharmacists? You know, if we're talking about specific studies about why this medication over that medication um, or how the guidelines are laying out what should be prescribed, I think pharmacists just fit that spot really well. So most often, academic detailers, Academic detailers are pharmacists, but you might find that there's, you know, a nurse or a physician who's also involved with academic detailing. And, I mean, academic detailing, like I said, it's just a technique of how you deliver this information. So really anybody can academic detail on anything. Um, So anybody could be involved. So that's a perfect segue into maybe a little bit more of a personal question. And that is, do you feel like academic detailing has changed how you approach other communication in your life, whether with friends or family, any micro skills for communication, if you will, that you just feel make you a better communicator across the board? 
Definitely. And I don't have any specific examples that come to my mind, but whenever somebody comes to a decision and you want to change that decision, you can definitely use these techniques of like, oh, can you tell me what, why you came to that decision? And just asking kind of provoking questions and getting people to change where they want to go to eat based off of using your communication with motivational interviewing and academic detailing techniques. So that's always kind of a plus. So to wrap up, I would love to give our listeners more information about what academic detailing is that they can learn more. So do you have any any recommendations on where a pharmacist or a student could learn more about academic detailing? So what I did when I had first heard about academic detailing was just a basic Google search. And I I feel like that's the best place to start. There are a lot of different websites out there um, and people who head up academic detailing services who have a lot of information online. Um, Specifically, the VA has a lot of information out there and you can actually go through all of the uh, different like resources that they have for their different campaigns, which is also a nice study tool for students if they're looking for that. Um, so the VA has some online. Also a couple other specific people who are good options. Alosa Health has some great academic detailing resources or the National Resource Center for Academic Detailing. Um, they're good at explaining what academic detailing is a little bit more and providing some resources for people who want to use it. Um, and if it's local people, I'm always open to talking to people a little bit more about what I do or maybe getting people in so that they can shadow me for these types of experiences. Great. Well, we greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking about some of the work you do. It's been really enlightening to hear about how academic detailing can be a key tool in influencing things like prescribing um, and ultimately serving patients well and making sure that we're moving toward best outcomes. So again, thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on today. We appreciate your time. Thanks. It was fun. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Disrupt, a podcast from the Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share the podcast with others. For more information on the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy and the Center for Pharmacy Innovation, visit www.cedarville.edu/pharmacy. Thanks for listening.